What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 155, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis's pot. No, we're not. We're not talking about oh. pilot episode rising. <laughs> Am I in the wrong one? No, I'm no, not. No, you're the right one. Yeah. It's just- <laughs> We're so what, about- what happens is is I take make a copy of the old one into the new one, yes. and sometimes I forget to change things. So this is not the pilot episode rising. What is this, Brent? No, we're going to be talking about hide and seek. So Hi. this is this is episode three, right? This is episode three. But even though this was the second one aired, yes. But but canonically, episode three, hide and seek. So so it's interesting that if you go to, uh, uh. I think IMDb actually calls this the second episode. Mm. And there are 19 episodes in the season. Yeah. But if you go to like everywhere else, they treat Rising as episodes one One and two. two, And this is number three. three. And there are 20 20. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. We're talking about episode three, Stargate, right? Atlantis 5. Whatever. Uh, Hey, friends. So uh, we're an independent podcast. So Zach and I, we are in the the same same place. place. (laughs) So I had to... Get my mic back over here. Okay, there we go. So, uh, <laughs> under normal circumstances, we record with one microphone, and uh, we're trying something new this time. We're trying to actually be like like real podcasters and have our own mics. Yeah. Even though we're sitting maybe six or seven feet apart. Yeah, about like that. that. And so uh, that rattle that you heard was me getting up out of my space, moving my mic. So the high five. Normally, we could just high five because we're sitting right next to each other. Anyway, yeah, whatever. Um, so, but this, there's also something new here, Brent. This is a first in walking through the Stargate history. Yeah, what? what? We are in the same spot. Yes, that's but we are not at my house. Correct. We've never recorded at my house. That's right. Hey, welcome to my house. Thanks, Brent. Yeah, well, you've been here. You haven't been here. This is the first time I've been in this, this house, house of yours because I we bought this recently and been moving into. The, we would talk about that. But you've been to my place as uh, I have been to your abode. Yes, yes. my abode's been the past time. Yes. Uh, hey, friends. So, yeah, uh, in case you didn't notice, we're a Stargate podcast. <clears throat> Stargate, 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 and Stargate. And so um, uh, we are an independent podcast, and we've been talking a little bit about how we've been. It's been on our mind to potentially revamp the Patreon situation uh, because there's a whole bunch of life stuff that's making it like we want to be really intentional about what we're doing and we're feeling bad about charging people for something that we're not going to be able to really accomplish by virtue of like life getting in the way. Zach and I have been talking. We are still conversing and making final decisions, but we have been making, I think, fantastic moves towards deciding what the next big thing is going to be. Absolutely. And so uh, while we're not really ready to be talking about it just yet, uh, we probably will be pretty soon. I mean, like we're making good headway. So, friends, thank you very much for supporting the show. If you've been on Patreon, that's been fantastic. There are still some Patreon-first episodes that are on Patreon that aren't on the main feed yet, but uh, we always release all of our stuff on the main feed eventually. So you can you you can you'll be able to hear that stuff before too long. Like I think we got a couple episodes. I think we've, we got an infinity on there and there might be a second chance. Uh, there. There's think, a couple things that we have recorded and there are a few things that we still need to record. Correct. Yes, which is still which we're still going to do. But uh if you are wanting to just make sure that uh, things are awesome and that folks are listening and you know some people that uh, would probably like listening to us jibber jabber about where we are recording or trying to get high fives in. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and Zach, I caved. Yes. I I, I gave in. Yes, you did. Yeah, I did. Um, we're also on Amazon Podcasts. Yay! 
Yay. And iHeartRadio podcast as well. So, um, you know, why did we do that? Well, first, iHeartRadio just lets us do it without putting in ads. Um, and then Amazon, we really took a look at their terms of service a second time. And they swear on a stack of Bibles that they aren't going to put advertising in this. So if y'all are listening on ad, on Amazon and all of a sudden we get interrupted so that you can hear a Swiffer ad, I want to know. That's right. Because we don't need other people to get paid for our content. No. no. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see how this. So anyways, they can find us on a whole lot of spots. The best spot to find us, though, in my opinion, is podcast aggregators you can get. I use um, Overcast. There's Pocket Cast is a good one. Stitcher is not an aggregator in the in one sense. It is in a different, might, might be a bad example. But you know what I'm saying. There's, there's podcast things out there. And you can type in Walking Through the Stargate on your device, and you'll find us. And that's how they can get a hold of us. But, Zach. Yes, Brent. If a person wants to reach out and say, I'm hearing ads on Amazon. Jeff Bezos, who's no longer CEO, and I can't remember the name of the new guy, have totally taken advantage of your content and are putting ads in your stuff. And I don't like it. How can they? How can they let us know about that? Well, if you have things that you need to tell us about either Jeff Bezos' uh, professional career or not, uh, then you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail dot com, which uh-huh. is W A L K I N G T H R O G H T H E S T A R G A T E at gmail dot com. Yay! Yay! You did it without making a mistake. I I, I stumbled a little bit. No, but no, no, no. It was, I it got was, through it. It, the, the, it was an elongated E. Yes. While you were prepping up the next letters, but it wasn't a mistake. There we you went go. The whole thing pretty far. All right. Uh, so Brent. Yes. Uh, people can also get a hold of us by going to Twitter mm-hmm. at Stargate Walking uh, or the Facebooks Walking through the Stargate Facebook page and group. You can go to the Discords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you aren't already on the Discords and you want to know how to get to the Discords, then you go to our website, which is wtts.space. Space! Space! Uh, or walking through the Stargate.com. Yeah. Uh, either way, um, one of the things that uh, we have been talking about, and I think I can share this, is an intent to uh, facilitate greater. Uh, traffic to our website mm-hmm. um, a- as a means of engaging with you and us there. Yep. Uh, because here's a little secret, folks. I've been to our website like three times since we started it. Hey, hey, Zach. I made it, and good friend of the show and executive quasi producer David has been to the site more times than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're. <laughs> We're what you call not good. <laughs> no, no. But we, we, one of the things that we're talking about with the next big idea involves, uh, you know, a, a heightened use of the website for that purpose. And so, yeah, we're looking to actually like crack our knuckles and get into the thing and actually make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Better. Um, and uh, speaking of Patreon, you mentioned Patreon mm-hmm. and, and how things uh, are going to change. Uh, we're still working through the details, and until we have the specific details, we're not going to say anything about that. Uh, however, Brent, um, A, folks, uh, if you're a Patreon supporter and uh, you got an email for mm. sending in Patreon votes, yes. by all means, uh, send those our way. Yep. Uh, we're going to do that, you yep. know, uh, so do that. Uh, but we do have now three Second Chances episodes that we need to record. Ooh. Um, one of them has been on our list. We just haven't had a chance to get to it. Ergo. Yes, that's right. But uh, we have a couple of more. One is The Light from Season 4. Hey, yeah, okay. And yeah. your favorite episode in mine. Oh, no. 
by our favorite writer, oh, no. Catherine Powers. Oh, no. Emancipation. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for all of you who voted for those. Oh, dear. Um, so we'll get those on our calendar. Um, in fact, Brent, we should probably talk about that yeah. before I depart from my yeah. home and maybe see if we can get something that on the the I think calendar. we can probably plan on that. That's Yeah, I can absolutely see us getting that done here in the next couple few weeks. Yep. All right. Shall we, Brent, dig into Hide and Seek? Yes. Let's get into it. All right. Let's do it. So the director for this episode is a name that you've heard before, David Worry Smith. Yeah. Uh, this is his only Atlantis directing credit, however. Oh, okay. All right. Hmm. Um, and this is actually also his last Stargate directing credit. Oh. Yeah. Well, Kind of sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, he directed several SG-1 episodes uh, throughout the first four seasons. So we haven't actually heard his name for quite a while. Mm-hmm. He did There But For The Grace Of God. He did mm-hmm. Bane in The mm-hmm. Fifth Race. <laughs> Bane, that's right. That's why I like him so much. That's right. <laughs> uh, the Fifth Race is a far better episode than Bane. N- no. Bane is the height of television. Yeah. Uh, we, we've had this conversation a second time. And that one has been released to I know. the greater public. And you even admitted that it's not actually the height of television. Of course. And yet. And anyway, <laughs> um, he also directed 100 Days in Season 3, Exodus in Season 4. That's not an entire list, but that's kind of a, a segment. Of yeah, sure. The story for Hide and Seek is by the creators of this show, Rob Cooper and Brad Wright. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Rob Cooper is the one who actually did the teleplay for it. Gotcha. Yep. And this is his second of three writing credits. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have several main cast members in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. We've got Tori Higginson as Dr. Elizabeth Weir. We've got Joe Flanagan as Major John Shepard. We have Rachel Luttrell as Taylor Imagen. Rainbow Sun Franks as Lieutenant Aiden Ford, mm-hmm. and David Hewlett as Dr. Rodney McKay. Uh, last week, I talked more in depth about Tori Higginson. Today, I'm going to talk about Joe Flanagan. Yeah. And then uh, in future podcasts, we'll talk about the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is IMDb's mini biography by self. By self? By self. Hmm, I wonder who that is. I don't know. Self. Self. Joe Flanagan started his career in politics, working as an advance man at the White House. That was followed by a stint at Andy Warhol's Interview magazine until finally setting, settling at Sanford Meisner's Neighborhood Playhouse in New York. He was quickly cast in several NBC projects and eventually put under contract there as a series regular for NBC Sisters alongside Sayla Ward and Susie Kurtz. Hmm. This was followed with another series regular role, Don Belisario's First Monday on CBS, starring Charles Durning and Joe Mantegna. Mm-hmm. He was then cast on Gary Marshall's The Other Sister, alongside Diane Keaton, Juliet Lewis, and Giovanni Ribisi. Mm-hmm. Some of Joe's other TV credits include multiple recurring roles on Dawson's Creek, Cupid, Providence, Profiler, and Women's Murder Club. Mm-hmm. And was the star of Stargate Atlantis, playing the role of Colonel John Shepard. Uh, spoiler. spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Which went into international syndication with 100 episodes. <laughs> Joe just finished multiple episodes on the second and third season of Apple's TV show C, starring Jason Momoa. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, Joe, Joe Flanagan's first IMDb credit came with a TV miniseries family album mm-hmm. in 1994 when he played Lionel Thayer in episodes one and two. Uh-huh. Okay. So there you go. There you go. Um, yeah. So that's uh, John Shepard or Joe Flanagan. Uh, and by the way, the uh, Apple TV show C is like a... 2019, 2020, 2021, yep. something like that. And so this is actually relatively recent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Or at least updated recent. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the final season of C, I think, is out now. Like, as in just recently. Yeah. Uh, we have several guest actors in the show. Mm-hmm. We've got Christopher Heyerdahl as Holling, mm-hmm. Paul McGillian as Dr. Carson Beckett, mm-hmm. Craig Veroni as Dr. Peter Groden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got several actors who play little kids, and I'm going to talk about one of them who plays the biggest role in this, uh, Reese Thompson, who plays Jinto. Yes. Okay. We actually met Jinto in Last the episode. previous episode yeah. briefly, but mm-hmm. I didn't talk about him. He plays a bigger role here, obviously. Yeah. Here is a, an IMDb mini biography by A. Anonymous. I wonder who that is. I, I have no idea. Yeah. It's it's I'm not sure unknown does. information. Yeah. <laughs> but anonymous is all over the place. I mean, but you know somehow you know without name, however that works. Well, you know if you named anonymous, uh, then, it would just then be he nominous. would cease to exist. Yeah, <laughs> cease to exist. It's true. It's true. <laughs> all right, here we go. Reese Thompson grew up just outside Vancouver, Canada. His mother ran a film society that brought independent movies to town. Mm-hmm. He expressed an interest in acting at an early age and later attended acting school. It was here that he signed up with an agent and started auditioning. He soon started to voice roles on television shows including Infinite Rivius, Mega Man NT Warrior, Inuyasha, mm-hmm. and Master Keaton. He would also go on to star in episodes of True Calling, Living with the Dead, The 4400, and I Love Mummy. <laughs> His first appearance came in the 2003 in 2000 in the 2003 with a small role in Dreamcatcher. <laughs> Anonymous you He continued his television work with a role in Stargate Atlantis, a guest role in Smallville, and recurring roles in the Canadian children's television series Zix mm. and the short-lived ABC family series Three Moons Over Milford. Hmm. His first lead film role came in 2007 when he played Hal Hefner in the critical acclaimed coming-of-age film Rocket Science. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Jeffrey Blitz and earned a Grand Jury Prize nomination at the Sundance Film Festival. His next role came as Bobby Funk in The Assassination of a High School Principal. President. President. <laughs> That's just me not being able to read my own writing. And by writing, I mean typing. Yes. And by my own typing, I mean somebody else's typing that yeah. I copy and pasted. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, which starred Misha Barton and Bruce Willis and was released on DVD in 2009. He was next seen in Afterwards, a French-Canadian film starring Evangeline Lilly and John Malkovich, hmm. and Bloodworth with Chris Christopherson and Hilary Duff. Mm-hmm. In 2010, he starred with Kat Dennings in the well-received Daydream Nation and Ceremony alongside Michael Angar- 
Angerano? Probably Angerano, yeah. Angerano. Uh, and Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. He can be found next in the upcoming film adaptation of the Stephen Jabosky penned book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. So, all that is to say, his first IMDb credit, as far as I could tell, was in the TV anime series Master Keaton in 1998, when he did the voice of young Connolly in the English version. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So, Brent, mm-hmm. this episode, Hide and Seek, aired on July 23, 2004. Uh-huh. Which is the same day that the previous episode that we talked about last week from uh, SG-1, uh, Lockdown, was that what it was? Lockdown, um, aired. And yep, so, right. if you want all of this handy-dandy fun information about uh, the number one charts and the box office and what happened, all that stuff, I invite you to watch last week's episode. That's right. Or listen to it. I mean, you can listen. You don't watch. I mean, I mean, I suppose you could plug it into your your video. Yeah, you could see the viewing waveform. machine and and watch it, but that would be kind of boring. Well, again, though, I mean, if you got one of those, like you know, those the the visualizers, right? <gasps> Remember those things? It would be like watching the light, which we will be watching again. Yes. See, look, that, that's called the segue, folks. Wait, no, it's not a segue. That's a callback. That's a callback. That's a callback. A segue is when you shift to something next. Which is not anywhere Which close is not what to, we're no, doing. No. This is, that was a callback. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is a segue is why don't we talk about trivia? <laughs> it, it may not be a very good segue, but it is a segue. <laughs> Technically, it exists. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the device that was used for trapping the uh, shadowy energy beam. Yes. It's actually the same prop that was used in SG-1, Sight Unseen. Sight Unseen is a six-season episode yeah. with uh, when uh, Jonas sees these uh, bugs. Yes. And then uh, the visualizing yes. of these bugs gets out and then yes. you shake people's hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So that device that, that turned on that allowed that to happen, yeah. caused that to happen, yeah. this is the same prop. Painted. Painted differently, yes. you know, yeah, you know. Yes. But it's still the same yes, device. Yes, I remember it now. Yep. Um, so, uh, so this is, so apparently on July 23rd in Stargateville, uh, they liked to look at creatures kind of floating through the hallways that were not quite corporeal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the same basic effects that were for Anubis is wandering through the Stargate halls last week, yes. uh, or the same this time for this non-corporeal creature. And while I didn't necessarily pick up on that until you said it out loud, because I watched it one week after the next, if I was watching this as it was airing, it would be literally one hour after the next. It's true. <laughs> now, aside from the fact that uh, you know they both aired on the same time, it actually makes a certain amount of sense because we learned from the Atlantis episode that this creature is what the Atlanteans had captured oh, to learn about ascension. Oh, yeah. And we know that Anubis, Anubis an was ascended, an ascended, descended, descended being. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So whether this was intentional or a very convenient accident, I can't say, but it does work. It sure does. Um, that, that is accurate. It works pretty well, actually. Um, yeah. So, now, what does make it a little bit weird is that these episodes both aired on the same night. Yes. 
Um, and I don't know if that was intentional or otherwise, but I, it's still true. I, I bet you it's not intentional, but it does work. Yep. Um, so, uh, there is apparently a DVD commentary, but it's only on the DVDs for Region 1, which should be the United States. Uh-huh. However... I, dear folks, I'm sorry to say, while I listen to most of the commentaries for most of the shows, and I have listened to this at some point in time in my past, I did not listen to it this time because, as we said before, we're in the same space. We're in the same space. See, that was better. That was better. Yeah. Uh, See, my mic is on a swing boom, which is a lot easier to move. Yeah, my mic is on a boom, but normally I'm at a desk, which you're at, and so it's clipped to this, like, cart thing. Which is like a big old rattle machine, right? And and my boom has got a an easier swivel on it. Yeah, well, yes, because it's just a better boom. It is. Yeah, but but uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, this is this episode here is the first episode of Stargate anything where Colonel or Brigadier General Jack O'Neill is neither seen nor mentioned. Yeah. We're, we're definitely in our own thing now, aren't we? We are completely and totally in something different. The first time that Jack O'Neill is not seen or mentioned in yep. anything Stargate. That's fun. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 Um, so this title has uh, is translated into many different languages mm-hmm. for the various shows. Uh, the French call this episode Invulnerable. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Russians call it Hide and Seek. The Czech also call it Hide and Seek. The Hungarians call it Hide and Seek. And the Germans? The, uh, the missing, you know, I'm trying to figure out the way to give away the plot. Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really giving anything away, so that's good. Well, no, but it... It is still bonk-bonk. It is kind of a bonk-bonk. Yes. <laughs> Dark shadows go through the gate. I, I, I appreciate the Germans. <laughs> McKay saves the day. Dunkelschatten <laughs> is dark shadows in Dunkel German. Dunkelschatten, oh my. All right. Are you ready for the synopsis, Brent? Yeah, let's get We watched this episode yesterday. Yes, we sure did. And... Now we get to talk about it. Yeah. But it starts with a synopsis. Yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. Yes. All right. We are in the infirmary. How do we know it's the infirmary? Because Doctors Beckett and McKay are in it, and McKay is talking to mice in a cage. That's how. (laughs) Beckett is getting ready to inject something into McKay's arm, and McKay is excited about it. Although, apparently, uh, medical science is... What did he call it? He called it like like uh, something akin to cavemen banging things on something the head. like that. It, it elicited a laugh out of me. Yeah, um, and 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 Beckett is like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, stab. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what is this thing that Beckett is going to inject into McKay? Well, if we were on Earth, it would not be something we'd try because we have, you know. Ethics. Ethics. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what happens in Atlantis stays in Atlantis, and so we won't talk about it. <laughs> this, of course, gets uh, Rodney a little bit nervous, but uh, he doesn't really get a chance to complain too much before. Stab! And mm-hmm. he gets jabbed in the arm mm-hmm. with a needle. Yep. 
Now, what is this? This is a mouse retrovirus that manipulates the host's DNA, in this case, Dr. Rodney McKay's DNA, yeah. with the intent of adding to it. Holy smokes, this is serious, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. The ATA gene. Yeah. Let us say the ancient technology activation gene. It's, 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 yeah, it's given the keys to the car to McKay, yeah. presumably to give the keys to the car to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is actually a good thing, sure. uh, and unless there's consequences. Unless there's consequences, mm-hmm. only time will tell. Only time will tell. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> Doctor Groden and Doctor Weir are discussing various city maintenance topics. The water from the ocean is automatically being desalinized by the city, which is great. So there will be no fresh water shortages. Good. Woohoo! That's a good thing, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Grodin also informs her that while some things require the ATA to work, many other things only need to be initialized by someone with the ATA gene, and afterward, anyone can use them, mm-hmm. which is really quite convenient. And I want to point out here for a moment, um, if I'm the ancients, either not everybody who is an ancient has the ATA gene, mm-hmm. well, that's got to be the only thing. Because there is no reason to have things work for some and not others, and other things to be initialized by some and then can be worked by others. There's no reason to work that into the system if it's not a security maintenance thing. Well, that's what I was. That's that's what I was thinking. Is that if you want um, the ability for somebody to turn on a light, you don't necessarily need to have a secure method to turn on a light. Right, which means that some of the ancients. Did not have the ancient gene. No, it's more, it's that you don't want to build in that security thing into that particular mechanism. So let me say it differently. Um, all of us have retinas, and therefore all of us could be all of us could have retinal scans, but we don't need to retinal scan the light switch, right? It's just a light switch. You can just turn it on, but you do need to retinal scan the ability to get into the vault at the MGM Casino in Las Vegas, where they store the government secrets from the Roswell, New Mexico uh, alien crashes. Well, naturally. Naturally. Naturally, that one you do. Yes. My point, though, is that if I have, like, like I mean, there's a different... So, like, the the control room yes. of Atlantis... Yes. Presumably ...just needs to be initialized, and then anybody can use it. Yeah. Now, that's kind of a high-security yes. thing. Yes. Yes. Acknowledged. Um, there's even the hand, the, the palm reader that we have at the SGC... Yeah. For the iris control, I think, is what yeah. it's for? Yeah. 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 And they had to use the the palm controller because the Ritu were around and they didn't want the... Because the Ritus don't have palms. <laughs> and right. the Ritus were just opening and closing that iris willy-nilly. Yes. And we didn't want willy or nilly no, we anywhere want near our no. control. <laughs> but apparently the ancients don't care about that. Apparently. Anyway. Shall we continue? Yes, we shall. All right. Uh, during this conversation between Weir and Grodin, many of the Athosian children are running around the place. Uh, they're only looking for a place to, to play. Because, you know, who doesn't want to run around and play? Especially if you're a kid. Exactly. Uh, Weir suggests that they need to find a specific space designated for recreational use. Mm-hmm. Um, also, she wants to get rid of all of the 10,000-year-old dead plants. Which, yes, right? Because I was complaining about the 10,000-year-old dead plant on the veranda. Last week, I think. Yeah. Right? Well, but that makes sense. Now, mean, now yeah. it's a callback. Yeah. Now, yeah. It'll be taken or care a segue, of. as Brent likes to talk about. As I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to talk about dead plants? No. Oh. Uh, as they enter the control room, <laughs> they immediately see 
Shepard shove McKay off the balcony. Mm -hmm. Now, understandably concerned, Weir rushes to the edge to see what the heck is going on. And she sees an uninjured McKay stand up and he's like, woohoo, that was so cool. (laughs) Now, he is happy to say that Beckett's gene therapy worked. He now has the ATA gene in his system, which is cool. Unless it wears off. Or, you know, which is weird. How does a DNA change wear off? But And surely there will be no consequences. Well, time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. Uh, so, get back here. Uh, and with this ATA gene, uh, McKay was able to activate a personal shield emitter, something he was messing around with before, which uh, helped him pre- uh, protect him from the fall because it's got inertial dampeners and yes. protection and all that. Which yes. is which explained last week's like sudden stop of the or you know two weeks ago for us sudden yeah. stop of the shuttle that's right yeah so the shuttle can splat. go <laughs> yes and everybody inside with the inertial dampeners just go yes it's nice gentle which is great because nobody wants shepherd paste shepherd's pie <laughs> <laughs> shepherd paste <laughs> now Weir is kind of shocked that they would think that uh, shoving somebody off a balcony would be a good way of testing a personal shield. Mm-hmm. Now, Shepard is appropriately indignant because they didn't start by pushing him off a balcony. They started by shooting him <laughs> in the leg. In the leg. <laughs> White meat or dark meat? <laughs> Bang. Start with shooting you. McKay is absolutely elated to be invincible until he realizes that he's not going to be able to eat or drink while the shield is on. Mm -hmm. And he can't seem to get it to turn off. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's he's a dead man. He's a dead man walking. (laughs) McKay will continue throughout the rest of this episode referring to himself as a dead man. Don't bother to give the dead man a code that will destroy the whole city. Nope, dead men don't need to blow up other things. <laughs> Later, in the conference room, Shepard is discussing security around Atlantis. Taylor offers the help of the Athosians, but Weir politely refuses. And uh, Shepard kind of covers up Weir's distrust of the Athosians by insinuating that, well, it's just because you aren't trained in Tauri weapons mm-hmm, and the stuff, and mm-hmm. and once you do that and we get to know your people, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Still, the whole expedition needs to explore more of the city, but they need to do it carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, Weir is concerned about Rodney's life. Uh, she talks to Beckett and suggests that with all that is scary on Atlantis, because, you know, whole giant city, mostly empty, kind of scary. Mm-hmm. You know, now, especially later when we get floating shadows coming around here. Sure. Uh, all that's scary in life. Rodney's subconscious fear prevents him from deactivating the personal shield. And so she thinks that if we just give him time, it'll probably just turn itself off before he is in any real danger. Okay, that night, Shepard is talking to... Sorry. See, normally you don't have to see me look off into space as I realize I think there's a plot hole. Oh, okay. We'll get to the plot hole. Okay. Well, Carry on. Yeah, so this is a weird thing because I'm looking at yeah. Brent and all of a sudden he's like, 
Yeah, I just looked off into space with a big old confused look on my face because that's what I do when I'm listening and I'm like, wait a minute. But anyway, sorry to distract. All right, anyway, back to the synopsis. Back to the synopsis. That night, Shepard is recounting a scary story for the Athosian children. Something about hockey masks and people killing people with other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they get distracted when he mentions the hockey mask because they're like, What's a hockey mask? Which is understandable. These people are literally from a different galaxy. That's right. What would they know anything about hockey? I mean, they probably call it something else. They... Football soccer. They call it, you know, puck soccer. Puck soccer. (laughs) We just made a whole bunch of people mad. (laughs) (laughs) Soon they become more interested in hockey than the story Shepard was originally telling them. However, not liking hockey himself, Shepard tries to get the children more interested in football, which is, quote-unquote, a real man's sport. Yeah. But it becomes time for bed, and so all the kids have to go to bed. Afterwards, Shepard agrees to tell Taylor more about this thing called football. Football. In his room, Jinto asks his father about how safe they are in Atlantis. And his father says that nothing except their love is certain. He also asks about the wind and the ghosts of the ancestors. But his father asks him simply to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Later on, Shepard, McKay, Taylor, and Ford are watching a videotape recording of a football game with Doug Flutie himself mm-hmm. throwing a Hail Mary pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Shepard was allowed one, counted one personal item. And what does he bring? A videotape of a football game, which presumably meant he also brought a VCR. A VCR and a a television. Yeah. Because the videotape itself is pointless without the ability to play it and then view it. Yeah. And this is 2004. I guess digital things. It's certainly yeah. It's certainly not personal digital things. Well, I mean, you didn't burn a DVD. That's that's. But still, I mean, at the, frankly, at that point in time, I was downloading more than a few things online. Yes. So you could have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but he wasn't. He would. He, he, but he brought a videotape. He brought a videotape. Anyway, uh, la 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 la. Tyler is a bit confused about the outcome and the exact nuances of this thing called football. Uh, and then at that time, Weir comes in. She's wondering why she wasn't invited. However, she doesn't really like football. Uh, and for her, the, the more pressing question is why Shepard simply brought along a tape of a football game as his one personal item. And to which he responds that it's a metaphor. Obviously. This whole Atlantis expedition is the biggest Hail Mary of all time. And that the game is, as I mentioned, a metaphor. A metaphor. Not a callback. Not a callback. And not a segue. Not a segue. A metaphor. Yes. A metaphor is when you use one thing to describe another thing yes. without using as or like. Correct, because that's a simile. That's a simile. Yes. This is not a simile. No. This is a metaphor. metaphor. No E. Thank you, kids. This is Grammar by Brenton Zach. <laughs> Taylor then wants to know what a Hail Mary is. Uh, well, it's named after a woman whose name was Mary, and, and she was important. And, and, and um, How about Ferris wheels? I like Ferris wheels. <laughs> That's a weird segue. 
that's a non sequitur. That is a non sequitur. That's right. That's right. That's not actually a segue. It's just a non sequitur. Correct. Uh, anyway, meanwhile. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Stargate podcast, Zach. I'm trying to synopsize this. <laughs> synopsize. <laughs> meanwhile, Gento sneaks out of his bed and gets his friend Wex. And they go and play a game of Wraith Hide and Seek. Mm-hmm. Wex plays the Wraith and will hide while Jinto will play Major John Shepard and seek out the vile Wraith. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, during the game, Jinto gets lost. And Wex goes to Holling and tells him what happened. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Holling goes to Shepard's quarter and delivers the news. Even though Jinto knows not to touch anything, Shepard starts a citywide search because Jinto is a kid and what does he do? He touches things. Of course. Jinto. Jinto. Wex is afraid of monsters mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. In teams of two, they start searching the city, but suddenly the power starts to fluctuate. Mm-hmm. They can't use sensors to find Jinto because the sensors won't indicate separate people, but they do pick up a strange energy reading. Weir tries to contact Jinto with the internal communication system, but suddenly the Stargate dials itself, and McKay is starting to seriously consider the possibility that ghosts are real. Mm-hmm. Taylor may have a lead on this whole thing. One of the Athosians, whose name is Marta, saw what she claims to be a wraith illusion. You know, those little phantoms that the wraith can do. Mm -hmm. Taylor doesn't sense any wraith, and uh, Taylor's sensing of the wraith has never been wrong. Uh, So Weir wonders if Marta actually saw a wraith, but prudently, Weir, being the commander that she is, puts everyone on the alert. Mm -hmm. All the searching for Jinto stops, and at the same time, more Thosians also begin reporting seeing this shadow. Holling offers a prayer to the ancient spirits, asking forgiveness if they have angered them, and at the same time, McKay's condition worsens, and he faints from hunger. Passes out. He faints. Thanks. Uh, Maybe he passed out. I can't remember his exact line. Yeah. (laughs) As Shepard leaves uh, the infirmary, another power loss happens, but this time, Shepard sees the same shadow that the Athosians saw. As soon as it passes, the lights come back on, which is good. But then the shadow begins to feed on one of the Nakwa generators. Oh, no. I have a couple of questions here, by the way. Mm. One, how many Nakwa generators did they actually bring with them? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they have five, apparently, on the base. Yes. And presumably, they don't use one of those five to chuck through the thing. Right. But they throw that thing through the the gate willy nilly at the they end. They were real. Yes. Uh, I mean, those things are, you know. So how many did they? How many is enough Nakoda generators for a an expedition where you have no idea where you're going? Two. Uh, at, at, at least Clearly six. six. <laughs> Maybe more. Probably more. <laughs> now, uh, and number two, my second question is. How much Nakwita is needed for a Nakwita generator to generate? Mm, yes, the classic tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. You know. How much Nakwita would a Nakwita generator generate if a Nakwita generator generator could generate Nakwita? Ooh, if your Nakwita generator generated Nakwita. I mean, it's in the name. 
it is. Uh, <laughs> that that would uh, so you, so you, so it, it the the Nakwita is self generating. Uh, so presumably no, right? Because that's not how physics works. But like something is generating the Nakwita. Clearly, it's in the name. Well, maybe the Nakwita is the generating power, and and what it's generating. <laughs> You, really? You think? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm asking. You're trying for a to follow my lead. Yes, I know, and I'm, and I'm not helping anything. I was going to go with like Cheetos. You put Cheetos in there, and you get Nakwita. Ooh. Yes, that's how the Nakwita generator works. You're so, fueled so by Cheetos. It would be better if you could just pour a little bit of water in there because they have an ocean and abundance of water. Wouldn't if that be sweet? If you could pour sweet. water in the Nakwita generator, and, get and the generator turns the water into Nakwita, yeah, and then you it turns the Nakwita into energy generator. Yes. And and then, but my point is that that like as generators work, right, uh-huh. they they turn something into energy or electricity or something, and whatever they are using to turn into electricity is a finite resource that needs to be filled up again. Yes. So how much Nakwita does it take to, and how long does Nakwita run? Um, because that's an issue. Maybe maybe that'll be an episode in the future. It, it could be. Or maybe we won't care because something else will happen. Uh, you know, we've had Nakwita generators for a long time, and we've never asked this question. <laughs> but inquiring well, but podcasters kinda, want to know. But we have sort of asked that question sort of in the show, right? Because for a decent part of SG-1's, what, seasons four and five? Like, acquiring Nakwita was a thing, man. Like That's true. It was a driving plot point on a few episodes. Well, right. That's because they need Nakwita for everything. Yes, but, but that's kind of my point of, like, how... How much do you need for the generator? I don't know, but getting it was on their minds big time. And apparently we've succeeded. But wasn't there also an episode? I know we're off track. Wasn't there also an episode where we did? Yeah, there was like a trade episode. Yeah. With um, with uh, with the Unas. Yes. Yes. Where, 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 where they mine this yes. big giant thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're uh, fine. We got plenty of Nakoda now. Yeah, but now we're on Atlantis and we don't have access to the Nakwita they mine. They brought as many Nakwita generators as plot demands and as much Nakwita as plot demands. That. Yep. It's right there on the invoice. a great way of doing things. Yes. <laughs> How much? Plot. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out that you have a light sh- glowing on yes. your chest and it makes it look kind of like you're Tony Stark. Ah. And, and you've got the the uh, arc reactor thing in your chest. Uh, it's not Stargate related, no. but I just noticed it, and it's kind of funny. Yeah, Zach, I have a secret to tell you. Are you t- Tony Stark? I'm Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> Dear listeners, we need to uh, stop the podcast for just a moment because I need to pick my jaw up off the floor because I have now just met Iron Man in the flesh. Yeah, haven't you wondered why I kind of disappear for time, for like hours at a time? It's because I'm sleeping. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. Yeah, the story. Eventually, Grodin figures out that by remotely <laughs> turning the generators off and on, he can inve- effectively keep the shadow entity moving around in circles. Mm-hmm which sounds pretty cool. Weir once again makes a citywide call, and this time, Jinto suddenly comes up on the comm line. He is scared, but he is safe. Mm -hmm. Jinto then retraces his steps that led him to his current predicament, and the team finds 
finds him and discovers that those rooms they thought were convenient closets in the hallway were actually transporter chambers, mm-hmm. we'll name them later, that lead to other sections of the city. They also learn eventually that Jinto inadvertently let this shadow creature out of the cage. The ancients put it in thousands of years ago as they were studying how they might use this thing to ascend. Mm-hmm. Later... As the shadow is circulating from generator to generator, Lieutenant Ford and Sergeant Stackhouse get caught in a corridor with the creature, and Ford gets attacked by it. Oh, no. no. Fortunately, this isn't the TV series Angel when a title character is killed off in the first few episodes, so Ford is safe and sound. (laughs) And if I just spoiled this TV series Angel for you, dear folks, uh, it's an older show than this one. (laughs) Sorry, friends. Like, oops. (laughs) anyway uh, Ford just experienced the equivalent of getting struck by lightning don't worry stuff happens that's not quite the phrase but it's close enough anyway back in the lab McKay finds the machine that was used to trap the shadow creature Shepard agrees to stay with the device and trap the creature again Weir notes that this might be quite dangerous and asks if McKay, with his personal shield, would like to do it instead. And it just happens to be that this is the precisely the moment when the thing deactivates, falling off of Rodney's chest, saving him from certain starvation and death. Starvation and death. But there's the plot hole. What's the plot hole? We'll talk about it. Okay. You mean starvation doesn't require death? Carry on. Okay. Back among the Athosians, the children and some of the adults are fearing sleep because of the creature. However, Taylor comes up with a story that the darkness fears fire, and the Athosians light candles for protection. Now, for good luck, Weir does the same thing, and they prepare themselves to capture the entity. Unfortunately for our heroes, their first attempt at saving the day fails, as the Shadow is smart enough to stay away from the magic box that trapped it in subspace for thousands of years in the past. Alas, this could pose a problem for our heroes. Mm -hmm. But all is not lost, because Taylor has yet another thought. Perhaps the creature simply wants to leave. It is sick and tired of being sick and tired, and it wants a vacation. Mm -hmm. And where does one go on vacation? Apparently, a desolate, deserted landscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe it's perfectly fine. Maybe it's exactly what a shadow creature wants. I'm going to choose to believe that, that they happen to pick the exact right place where it's like it's home. They they randomly picked its home Randomly picked its home planet. That's what I'm going to choose to believe. Yep. All right. So, all we need to do now is lure it through the gate, and we'll be okay. So, plan B is put into motion. A Naquitagenner is powered up in the gate room. It'll go through the gate to some barren planet while the entity follows. The Naquita generator is set on a vehicle that will take the generator through the gate. Mm-hmm. The shadow approaches, fills the gate room, and drains the vehicle of power before it can drive the generator through the gate. Well, that's poopy. Yes. The team begins to panic. What are we going to do next? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And then McKay looks at his personal shield and gets a crazy idea. He takes it. He puts it on his chest. He activates it. Then he walks into the shadow mm-hmm. and grabs the generator and with a heave he chucks the thing through the gate and the shadow creature follows 
the Nakoda generator mm-hmm. through the gate. When the power is returned, Rodney lies unconscious on the floor. But don't worry, he was protected by the personal shield. Unfortunately, the shield appears to have been drained of energy. But fortunately, I guess, if you are a Rodney fan, Rodney is no worse for wear. Hooray! Hooray! (laughs) The end. The end. And so, my dear friend Brent. Yeah. Hide and seek. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me your thoughts. So, we'll get the plot hole out of the way. And actually, as we were talking about it, I think I found a second one. Um, The plot hole is this. Rodney McKay finds a personal shield thing, puts it on, is invulnerable to gunshots and is invulnerable for great from falling from great heights, but cannot put any food or drink into his face. It's a yes. bummer. Okay. Weir speculates that the reason why it's not deactivating is because subconsciously McKay wants to feel protected. It's a big, scary base, lots of unknown. So subconsciously, he'd rather have that thing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consciously, he is recognizing what the problem is. <laughs> he's recognizing he's not going to be able to eat. He's recognizing what that means. But subconsciously, he would rather have the security blanket on than not. Yes. Right. Therefore, it is speculated that at some point, his hunger, his desire for survival, his fear of death from starvation will overcome his fear of injury or death from the unknowns, and the device will turn off. That's the hypothesis. That's right. So when presented with the possibility of having to stare down a lightning creature that is literally capable of sucking his energy out, he decides that his fear of starvation is greater than the fear of that demise at that moment? No, no. no? So so here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's a different fear that, that's kicking in. Uh-huh. His fear of risking himself to go into the middle of this creature and potentially be killed by that. Yeah. Like, like, if he is protected by that shield, then he risks himself in the midst of that. And, I suppose. And that, the, the fear of risking himself in that way is so frightening that it causes the device to turn off so that now he is no longer looked at as the one with the personal shield. Sure. To, so that he... Because he's not a hero. But the shield... He, he stood in front of a gun, and he got shoved off of a two-story balcony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an invulnerability shield. Yes, but... He this... could go out into space and be fine. Granted, he won't have enough oxygen. He'll have enough oxygen. It'll last a minute or two. Or, no, more than that, but you know what I'm saying. Not long, though, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, but... You could put a Mack truck in front of him. Yes, but Rodney McKay <laughs> is, especially right now, a scaredy cat. So, your explanation is definitely plausible. It just passed over when it when I saw the episode. I didn't quite put it together, but it did seem to counter the aspect that was described earlier. That this is this is something that is going to protect him, and at some point, his fear of being protected is going to be less than the fear of the consequences of being protected. So, or, sorry, I've got I phrased that it's slightly wrong, but I think I know it. Right. So, yeah. so basically, in this in this episode, what we got here is is we've got McKay who um, wants to be invulnerable. Yes. He wants to be. Superman. He doesn't want to be at risk. Correct. Right. That's his fear. He doesn't want to be. Uh, hurt or at risk and the fear of starvation uh, is a real 
start thing. Yes. And eventually, if it really came down to it, if right. nothing That's else happens, hypothesis. Then, then his fee- the the need for food um, would overcome his fear of of anything else so, to protect it. So you're saying though that. Um, in that moment, he did not believe that that invulnerability device was going to make him invulnerable. He, in that moment, when, when, because uh, he'd just seen um, uh, Ford, Ford get electrocuted, get zapped, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, when, in that moment, when they turn to him and say, Rodney, you're invulnerable. Right. You could do this. He's like, I don't trust this invulnerability to actually protect me with this. And immediately he turns it yes. off subconsciously and says, well, oh, well, I'm no longer invulnerable. So the guy who was willing to do it anyway should just do it anyway. So, okay, fine. I'll let it pass. Um, because it's not, that's not, that's not silly. Sorry, that's phrased. That sounded like I was being facetious. And I wasn't. I was just acknowledging like, okay. Uh, second plot hole though, is that the, the, the the shadow thing was right next to an active stargate and sucked the energy out of the batteries of the malp right and the naquita generator was turned on and generating energy right then yeah but it was choosing to oh just suck energy from the naquita generator or the gate well so okay we that's sort of know. my question of we don't like, know for sure the gate is extremely powerful. Like, right. We've established this in canon as well. You can't tell me that the Nakoda generator is more powerful than the gate. Well, I mean, so what we don't know is whether or not this creature actually has the capacity of sucking energy from the Stargate system. Uh, the implication, okay. what we're seeing here, is that it probably can't. Because if it could, uh, well, I don't know. It might have so so. Here's here's some of the plot holes. Like like, mm-hmm. like this this creature is one that uh, that is smart enough to recognize that it's trying to get some energy, and you're just turning off and on naquita generators, and it gets getting a little bit ticked off. Yes, and it's also smart enough to realize. Like, hey, let me turn on this thing that's really attractive to you. And he comes and he looks at it and he's like, oh, that's what trapped me for thousands of years. I don't want to do that. Yes. And he leaves. Yes. Right? So he's smart enough for this. If he actually wanted to leave, right. as soon as the Stargate was open, he would have just left. Mm-hmm. But there was something going on there because plot needs the plot. Plot needs plot. Um. Where he's hanging out there, sucking energy off of something, something, and we don't know exactly what. And so it must have been the generator. Right. But here's the weird thing, is that from what we saw before, is that it apparently doesn't take him long to suck the energy out of a generator to at least make it... Um, malfunction. Malfunction. Of kind, yeah. Um, and you can't tell me that this little plastic case that's around it yeah. is protecting it from that. Yeah. No, right. Um, but whatever. We got a cool visual with McKay stepping into the smoke monster. That's true. And chucking the generator through the... Yeah. In a heroic moment. And in a heroic... And we did reset the uh, personal invulnerability shield to zero. I mean, it might get turned back on eventually. Perhaps. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, it does do something... And it it establishes so like one of, we've talked about this uh, with rising that uh, with a pilot episode oftentimes you have to introduce a thousand different characters yes 
And in this show, we actually only had to introduce a couple of different characters. Yep, that's right. Uh, to really get the story going. Uh, however, we do need to flesh out our old other characters. And this is an episode where we flesh out some of Rodney's character. Yeah. And so we get this guy who, from before, we saw that was just a jerk. Jerky jerk. Yep. And now we're trying to reform him and change him and give him some... Uh, more likable characteristics. Mm -hmm. And so this is a nice episode that helps us to see that Rodney is still an arrogant person. Yes. And somewhat narcissistic, at least. Yep. But when push comes to shove... Right. He's willing to do what is necessary for the sake of the group. Yeah, and character so, development. Yeah, so that's a that's an important thing in this episode. Yeah, which is good. Um, so I'm realizing that I was uh, that I was jumping up and down to start banging on the plot holes. Uh, but and as we were kind of talking about, it, I was realizing I remember that in conversations for SG One in the early seasons, I also would get really kind of hung up with particulars. Do you need to sneeze? No. Okay. No, I'm fine. I was trying to decide how close I should be to my mic. Gotcha. I can cut that out too. <laughs> Just as well. Uh, I think I've been willing to hand wave what I would consider to be plot holes or you know weaker story. I mean, I, I think I've said it as much in SG One because of the characters, because of the actors who play these beloved characters. The the satisfaction of watching SG-1 right now has a lot to do with the actors and the characters, et cetera, et cetera, along with the stories. And I haven't yet gotten to the spot where I feel that connected to these characters in this show. Makes sense. This is just the second time I've ever seen many of them, most of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as I'm experiencing the show, it seems pretty likely that I would be focusing on things of what I would be like, isn't that a plot hole or isn't that weird? You know what I mean? Like, cause that's what I've got. That's the meat that I have right now. I don't yeah. quite have the relationships established. I don't have the, the desire of seeing this particular character do that thing that I like watching them do, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like it's, it's just, it's just the story and the story alone. And I think that's a little unfair. Well, but it is what it is. So like, yeah, it's a little unfair because if I watched this series a number of times and I had that kind of understanding of where these characters are, then I might be a little frustrated with the lack of rapport that might have developed because that's a thing that occurs over time. But that, you know, but I probably would not be feeling particularly slighted about what I see as a plot hole because I'm watching the characters do their things. Yay. I'm not there yet. So, uh, it is what it is. Uh, the, my enjoyment of the story was quite high. Um, there was a lot of humor in this one that I was laughing at. Like, I enjoyed watching the interplay between Shepard and McKay. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of one-liners in there that got me chuckling. Um, I, I it found that to be quite enjoyable. The story itself wasn't that bad. Um, as I mentioned, I'm choosing to believe that they luckily dialed the right planet, because otherwise that's kind of it's kind of brutal. Um uh, you know, we we are humans, and part of the reason that humans think that humans are great is because we have the capacity for empathy, even for things that want to destroy us. Uh, and so trying to do right by this thing that is just being animalistic and trying to find food 
and we're kind of toying with it. You know what I mean? Like, like it's you're toying with a shark. You, do you, do you want to hang around with the shark? No, you don't want to hang around with the shark at all. But do you no. chuck the shark in the middle of a desert? No, you want the shark to go into some salt water where it has some food because we're not we're not brutes. Well, so that's why I'm. Some of us are brutes. I'm not a brute. I'm a gentle, gentle lamb. Yes. Um, so what you can't see, dear <laughs> listeners, is me nodding my head. <laughs> sure, sure you are. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm choosing to believe that we stuck him on the right planet. Um, the story itself, I thought was fine. I, 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 I kind of liked how it played out. The, the whole like you know, Jinto is like you know. It, I don't know if it was just my imagination or if it was the story that was implying that Jinto was like, ma- I'll, I'll use the word magic, but you know, it was magically transported into a different phase or realm or whatever, when in fact he was actually just literally transported to a different spot of the city. I thought that that resolution was fine enough. I thought it was like, oh yeah, okay, all right, hey, a, a new piece of technology, and and it it explains what happened, and it does so in kind of a humor sort of humorous way like oh we thought these were closets turns out they're you know the transporters oh and they're elevators too we can stop taking the stairs um and that was mid-episode and that felt fine and then we still had the latter half of the episode the real part of the episode of how do we deal with this particular threat on this in the city i keep wanting to say on the base um and let's get some information on the way like this is what the ancients were using to research the possibility of ascension like that's kind of an interesting thing. It's a piece of information that is kind of neat. It explains how they did it versus the sort of metaphysical hand wavy aspect that happened when we first met Oma Dasala, mm-hmm. or maybe second met Oma, you know, when we're in the in the temple, right? Type of thing. Yep. And I I am one who enjoys that. I like my science fiction to be able to create sciency explanations for what appear to be metaphysical things. Just me. I like that. Here here we have one of those great yeah fine story fun character engagement i'm putting this in quotes plot holes but you know whatever i mean it's my that might be me being particular i i kind of like this one i think i this one, I, I enjoyed watching this particular episode so what about you what do you think um yeah i i enjoyed this episode as i was watching this episode um it it felt like the second episode of a 2000 aughts yeah tv show yeah yeah um you know it it just kind of it starts nothing is particularly happening mm-hmm. and then things get moving along the way uh you're not quite sure who these characters are and so you're still learning that process um you know i mean that that's what it feels like mm-hmm. uh it is a good story and it's actually good character development. Um, and my sense is that uh, we have good representations in this episode of who these characters uh, are and who they will end up being. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Not that there isn't development. There is development. But, you know, so it, it you know, because you get some, some TV shows uh, 
like early episodes, they don't quite know what the voice of a character is. Yes. And they sound weird. Yes. And, and stilted in some ways. And that's because the actors don't quite know what the, what the character is. And the writers don't quite know what the character is. And, and it's, a, but this doesn't quite have that. Yeah. Um, so that's a good thing. But it also feels like this is an episode that's designed to, Move us into the realm of ho hum life, with fantasy sure. things happening. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, this is just takes place canonically a few days after Rising. Yeah, they haven't been there for very long. Yeah, um, they've kind of got to that point where they're like, well, we're in this new place and we still don't know quite what's going on, but we still have to wake up and we have to eat and yeah. and do some of these other things and such. Um, and it's fine. It's just, just kind of. It's still in the establishment phase of things, mm-hmm. uh, which is very typical for uh, television shows at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a lot of things. What you mentioned, uh, I, I kind of want to talk about um, this whole the the ethical process of what Beckett does at the beginning. Oh. So without oh boy, um, I am perfectly satisfied with trusting medical experts with the mRNA vaccine process that was used with COVID nineteen vaccines and has been this entire time. Right. That is basically the same tech that Beckett was using. Right, it's a it's a retro retro. What do you call it? Was it a retrovirus? They called it a retrovirus. It's it's the same. It's the same idea. The impacts aren't quite the, it, like it, how it plays out in sci-fi land is not how it plays out in real life. But that's that is what was happening in that moment. Like okay, using RNA to write up something that your body then uses. Right, but it's different when you're like. RNA is something that actually changes as you move through life. Okay. Right? Uh, RNA, I don't know. Um, RNA is just a single helix structure. DNA is a double helix structure. Um, DNA then gets unzipped into RNA strands, which then get used to create the proteins. Right? But I'm not a medical scientist, so while I'm talking, I'm I'm using big words, right? You know, but I'm not exactly sure how um and and then therefore dna is more stable because by virtue if there is a if there's a if there's a um a defect right in the code there's a there's a corresponding set of code that can correct the defect whereas an rna that just doesn't exist if there's a defect there's a defect right so so i mean there are um there are experimental technologies that are happening now that are Doing literal DNA gene splicing yes. in humans yes. to uh, repair defects that are causing various diseases, diseases yeah, and the like. Like yeah, um, that is what because the mRNA vaccine isn't messing with your DNA. 
No, it's creating it's creating antibodies using a genetic code. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Fine, it's it's fine. messing. You know. When I'm saying it's the same technology, I mean to say it's using it's not introducing it, a vaccine. Typically, used to work at is like you know there's some there's some deactivated or dead or nearly dead disease. Right. That gets injected in your immune system and goes what the heck is that, and it fights it. Yeah. At a at a very safe method that results in usually you get immune to a thing or have immunity to a thing. Right. Without getting sick by the thing. Right. Yeah. No, you're, yeah, 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 right. you're so right. So the mRNA right. vaccine is different than this because different this is the actually. retrovirus DNA thing, yeah. This yeah, retrovirus yeah, okay. is actually messing with your DNA. Yes. It's gene splicing. It's gene splicing. Which Correct. is technology that we have today. Yes, yes, that's right, that's right. Um, but your ethics question was not so much about that. It's more like, shut up, jab. Well, it's it's like. Like we have a process established on Earth, yeah. Uh, that, in theory, is designed to not unduly expose people to radical things that um, are unsafe, or that we don't know what the consequences are. Yes. And now we have Beckett, who admittedly discovered the ATA gene. Mm-hmm. And he has the ATA gene, and now he has used a mouse retrovirus to uh, literally splice that gene into your DNA. Yes. Without any process of uh, figuring out what the ramifications there are, are. It's the really gross, sticky area where military physicians or physicians attached to military or militaristic uh, things take advantage of that power to unscrupulously and and unethically conduct medical experimentation on people and then you get knowledge from it like there's a good amount of medical knowledge that came about from extraordinarily horrific acts that is used. The knowledge is used now to the benefit of people. Yep. But we got it in this horrendous way. Absolutely horrendous way. And there is a blind eye that gets turned to it. So what was Beckett doing in that moment? First, the story just kind of hand-waved it. Second, the story was like, ha, ha, ha. You're not on Earth anymore. Here you go. Ha, ha, ha. Which is kind of gross. But third, Beckett is a physician in a nominally military run thing and and uh uh character name mckay thank you <laughs> and mckay is part of the group of people that are around to do and nominally it's for a good reason right okay we're going to be able to have you give the car the keys to the car yeah jab but like this is a thing that has happened i mean this is a thing that happens I'm not saying that this is unusual. Yeah. But, um... Is it ethical? No. It, yeah. No. <laughs> it um, is not ethical. Which... And, and so this is, like... Spoiler. Okay. Uh, Beckett is a beloved character. So is this a moment that darkens, that, that besmirches that? So, spoiler again. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but does he keep doing this to other people? Yes. No. Um. Uh. Does he keep um 
taking such risky medical decisions in a way that is ethic- ethically questionable. No. Okay, so this is a one-off. Apparently. And though, so therefore, and then, okay, let's go meta here. Therefore, should we judge this character based off this one action for the whole series? No, it's a story. Right. Did he actually do it? No, he didn't actually do it. Should we judge McKay based off of his SG-1 appearances? I'm shrugging my shoulders like, it depends on how they want to go with the thing, but like, no, it's a story. Right. Like, they are purposely reinventing the character. They're purposely creating a character. It was established that he was this away before in SG-1. Right. And he was mostly that away again when we saw him a second time in SG-1. He is... There are aspects that are the same for sure. He is the same named character. He's being played by the same actor. He is supposed to be the same character in universe. But... And a lot of the same characteristics are there. Yeah. But the sharp, pointy edges that right. really made you, in particular, yes. look at this character and say, what a vile, vile man. Yes, I don't want to see him ever again. Exactly. I'm not Those sharp that. edges That's right. have been... Uh, cut off yeah i'm not seeing that character yeah i'm seeing a different character right and and we tend to and it makes sense why we would we tend to conflate story with reality that's half the point half the point of story is to conflate with reality it's it's to make us feel connected to it and that demands some kind of connection to reality but it isn't it's not reality it's a character right but that begs the question though in reality yeah um what capacity do we have in ourselves now we're changing gears from the ethics that i was talking about but it's fine this is a different direction it's kind of fun <laughs> Segway. Right, right what capacity do we have now in our human existence to see somebody who is uh morally offensive yeah. um in in some capacity where is our uh, as you mentioned right we're not brutes we yeah. we, we empathize yeah uh w- where is the line, for lack of a better term, uh, for empathizing and trusting that that the the goodness, yep. for lack of a better word, uh, can manifest in some other people? Uh, you know, how do yeah. we see people who are different than us in a mm-hmm. way that um, doesn't simply uh, uh, reduce them to a list of things that they have done? While at the same time, I'm not exonerating them. Yeah. But, you know, so th- there's there's my question. I've got what I think is probably an, an unsatisfying answer that's also a can of worms. Open it. Okay. We don't have an awful lot of time to get into the can of worms. And like I said, this is not a satisfying answer. I think that the um, the structure that helps create definition to that question or an answer to that question is exclusively community norm based, meaning it's our norms that give us the answer to that question. And those norms can and do change. Now, for us, now this is where it's dissatisfying because there, I'm implying that there is no single universal like rule, rule, rule stick, measuring stick out there for this answer, that there is a, there is a point at which we should be empathetic and a point where we should be rejecting. Like, and this is also not a scalpel, which is allowing us to say there is a difference between rejecting actions and being empathetic with people. And I think that's a worthy conversation. Yeah. 
that that using that scalpel. So it's ne it's not it's neither of those things. Therefore, it's unsatisfying. But how we define where the scalpel goes, or what measuring stick gets used, is a norm, and it's a thing. And norms, by definition, are things that are kind of stable. And but norms also are things that shift. That that there are groups of people or groups of people in the same the same group of people over time that would pull out a different measuring stick at some point and go, this is the one we're using for this. And then 500 years later, they go, no, that was a dumb one. We're using this one. And then 500 years after that, they're like, wow, we were idiots. We're using this one. And those are three different measuring sticks that are being used for that to answer the question that you ask. So my question goes beyond that mm -hmm. um, into the realm of metaphysics, perhaps. Um, is that philosophy? Uh, is there something that helps us answer the question of what norms do we use? Yes, um, and that's and I mean, yeah, I mean, now we are absolutely in philosophy, and we are absolutely in theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my wheelhouse. That's exactly right. Um, what do we use? There are things that we have to our disposal to help answer those questions. Right. Some people believe fervently that those things are absolute, that they are static, unchanging over time, and that you have access to them in these certain things. Here's one, here's one, here's one, whatever. Uh, there are others who believe that these things are malleable. There are others that believe that they don't exist, that they are literally are just figments of our own imagination, therefore they are just as real as our description of the color blue. Like, sure, there's a thing, and we all are talking about it as blue, but, you know, like, go ahead and describe it. Like, what is blue? Um, and so bringing it back to the show, like Rodney McKay and his vile actions in seasons, in SG1 season three and four or whatever it was, and his, his self-interested actions as on display today, but in a humorous aspect. And then his ultimate, um, development as character of being actually a bit more selfless than we are giving him credit for. Right. Yep. Um, and the one-off action of, of Dr. Uh, Beckett. Beckett, who um, conducts a very questionable, ethically ambiguous, bordering on completely unethical, as I'm saying, was unethical, medical experimentation on a person with no ability to help that person. It was also reckless because if it was uh, – if it was um, – uh, if this was actually about to kill McKay, right? It's possible that uh, you're about to lose one of your senior members on your team and one of the brightest minds that you have on your base and a very limited supply of people. Yeah. Right? Like all to turn on a rocket ship. No, no more than that. More to, you know, to access the base, to do more things. I'm also fine. Again, this is a story. I'm okay with like squinting and waving my hands in front of my face to be like, let's pretend that that specifically didn't happen. And we just, are, but, but we're able to get this activation gene into more people. Let's pretend that there was a, there was a, there was a nutrition drink that they came across and you drink it. Bang. All of a sudden you can start to access stuff. You know what I mean? Like, go, let's go ahead and, and, and sci-fi it a little bit to be like, whatever, something happens and we can now access it where we couldn't before. Yeah. I'm okay with that because the story kind of demands it. And that's exactly what they're doing. Right? Yes. Uh, they they established in episode one that an ATA gene is needed to operate things. Yeah. They also established that uh, only a relatively few number of people have the ATA gene. I think in this uh, expedition of 60 or 70 people, like 12 of them had the gene. Yeah. 
And only one of those 12, Shepard himself, had some sort of native instinctual uh, ability to control it. Yep. You know, um, that's a really small sample size for mm-hmm. a show. And, and frankly, this actually makes sense for an expedition. If you have the capacity to expand that in some way, yes. exploring that is necessary. Yes. And so here we have the story that Beckett, who is a very smart scientist in his own right, despite what McKay says, yeah. uh, creates this retrovirus that should be able to manipulate the genes to do this. Um, now, the question is, what kind of research did he do to get to this point? And I think that I, I suddenly realized another thing that I think that might be part of the reason why we are dithering on this point was that the dialogue implied that McKay was unaware or that McKay, yeah, that McKay was an unwilling participant in this process. It wasn't that he was unwilling because as soon as he said, hey, shoot me up with this retrovirus Fair. and I get the ATA. Oh, safety. What's not it was like? safety. It was, it was, what kind of testing have you done, basically? Right. Yeah. I mean, so like, uh, McKay wasn't, uh, wasn't unaware, but he was under-informed. And that's the thing where all of a sudden I'm realizing maybe, maybe the dialogue is misleading us in what would probably happen. So you were mentioning expedition, right? It's making me think of like the expeditions that were going into Antarctica, right? Those things were brutal. Yeah. And it's amazing the stories of actual like survival and success that that occurred in the early 20th century when they were doing those expeditions i mean it's it's just it's just stunning and you can't tell me that any of those sailors and and explorers didn't know the conceptual risk that they were getting into that's a specific risk because they didn't know they were exploring right but the conceptual risk you can't tell me that one of them was unaware of it right so let's bring it back to this expedition this group probably is going to be trying to establish a, hum- a, a an Earth-based humanity foothold on Atlantis by any means necessary. That's probably the conceptual risk that they all understand is going to happen. Okay. And if that means that they have to lay their life down in order to succeed in that, they probably are okay with it. They probably have been informed of that, and they said, yes, I'm willing to take that risk, Right. And so did McKay, the character, suddenly find himself underinformed about the potential risk of what was about to happen? I think that in a real, I'm using that in quotes, right? Let's go to the Pegasus galaxy. In a real expedition of a kind, no, McKay wouldn't be underinformed in that situation. He would know what he was signing up for. This is a part of it. You're going you're gonna to come across some weird technology and you're not going to know what it's going to do and you're going to have to figure it out. And sometimes it's going to go boink, and that boink sometimes can mean death. Are you okay with that? And he'd be like, yeah, I'm okay with it. And this is a version of going boink, right? You're going to get jabbed with a mouse retrovirus to have a gene. I don't know. I mean, it's probably going to work, but let's find yeah, out. I mean, I don't know. That that doesn't feel satisfying. That's fair. To me. Yeah. Um, on the storyline, I don't have a problem with this, yeah. right? I mean, there, there's, uh, you know, this was... Uh, you know, you said, and, and you know, we chuckled at a lot of the different places in this episode. This episode was designed to have some humor in it. Yes, one of those places of humor was the dialogue here, highlighting the experimental nature of this. Yes, 
and you know the the McKay like gung ho. Mm-hmm. Let's let's do it right. Let's He's do it right here, right, right here. Arm. This arm, this arm, and then no, and then he gets arm. moved over to the left arm <laughs> to get jabbed. Um, you know, and all of this stuff. And I'm I'm surprised you said no yes to this. I'm like, why wouldn't I say I want this thing? Yes, yeah, but this is untested. Uh, we've never tried it on a human before. We'd have no idea exactly what's going to happen. And he's like, what? Wait, 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 wait. A jab. Yes, <laughs> yes. Know? And then, of course, at least in this episode, we see no uh, negative effects from the the injection. Correct. Uh, you know, the only thing that we see is he gets injected. Nothing else happens to him. He's not affected by anything other than now he can access technology, uh, ancient technology. And you know, is that? Do you think that that might be? And I'm kind of cognizant. We should be cognizant of time here. Um, do you think that that might have been not necessarily like a writing oops, but like You knew you kind of needed to have McKay be a bit frustrated in the pilot that he can't do it because he's the nerd, Mm -hmm. right? And so let's create a humor moment where he doesn't have the ability to do it and it's a little frustrating. Ha ha. But we need the nerd to be able to do it, right? Right. That's going to be important for the story going forward just in general. Yeah. You need the nerd to be able to get at this technology, to be able to to understand it by use by virtue of using it, and it, like you need to get around this. So there was a joke in the pilot that you got to fix. <laughs> you have to be able to get like, and therefore it's like, yeah, there was no way McKay was not going to be able to get at this tech, but yet they they felt like they needed to make the joke in the first season, the first so, episode. So I I don't think that this is a joke they made in the first episode that they now need to fix. Yeah. I think this is part of the story that they want to tell. Because one of the things... Um, spoiler. Okay. <laughs> the ATA gene is reasonably successful, and McKay is not the only one that gets jabbed in the arm. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly... Im- that's heavily implied. That's right. not really a big spoiler. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, eh, sure. <laughs> Uh, the ATA gene does not work for everybody. Yeah, okay, sure. You know, it works. So you get jabbed in the arm, and, and you have a certain mean, percentage yeah. of having it work. Yeah, and a certain percentage of well, you got stabbed, it didn't work, yeah. and it's not keys to the car, or rather, yeah, it is copies of keys, and sometimes the copies are pretty bad. Yeah, you know, Don't sometimes work. it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and so if you get inoculated, then maybe you'll actually be able to do it, and maybe you won't. Yep. Um. And that becomes that's actually important to the story, and good. It's it's fun to have your 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 uh, narcissistic science nerd yes say, oh, too bad, Rodney. You desperately, desperately want this, <laughs> and you can't have it. And then say, okay, let's find a way yeah. to get it to him because he does need it. Yes, um, in a way that is humorous um, and has. Uh, I'm not willing to torpedo Ripples. this thing based off of that. No. Yeah. No. Uh, the, the the whole question of the ethics is not to lambast the episode, but to just to chew on that. For oh, a man. It was a good one. We chewed on it for a while, didn't All we? All right. I think probably the time has come. The time has come. For me to receive from you your Chevron rating. Yes. So, how many Chevrons do I want to give Hide and Seek? Um, I thought I saw some plot holes, but only actually, you know what? L- let me rephrase that. I thought I was seeing plot holes as you were reading the synopsis. Remember? I looked right. off into space and I distracted you. Um, 
so while watching the episode, it didn't really occur to me. And like I said, I I enjoyed it. I thought that this was in, it, intriguing. Um, it wasn't so terrifyingly like, you know, where's the child type of a thing. You know, that got resolved about halfway through. And the real story was an information provision episode. We saw some character development. Uh, this was a McKay-heavy episode, as in, like, let's talk about this guy for a bit. We got a good amount of, like, um, plot information about the ancients and the and how they became ascended. I think this is fun. Um, I had a good time. So I, I think I'm going to give this a six out of seven, um, which, as I'm saying, it sounds generous and it feels a little generous. But I got to be honest, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed talking about it. Sure, there were parts about it that didn't feel that strong, but I don't know. It was a good time. What more can I ask for a TV show? Yeah. Six out of seven for me. So what Six about you? Um, so, I enjoyed this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked this episode. It, it was a good episode. It wasn't a great episode. Right. No. It wasn't a great episode, but it was solid. Right. Um... You know, you had tension with the loss of a child. Um, you had tension with an alien entity yep. that was causing problems. Yep. You had character development with one of the characters that needed some significant development. Yep. Uh, in order to be able to make that character viable moving forward. Yep. Um, all of those things were good. It was woven well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Pacing was good. Pacing was good. Uh, it's it's solid. Uh, you know, as I started talking, I was thinking about giving it a five. Yeah. But now as I talk about it, I think it needs to be more than a five. But I don't want to give it a six. <laughs> and well, good for you. You have half points available to you. I have half points. <laughs> so I'm going to give it a five and a half. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I need to... I think part of it for me... Like I gave last week's episode of... Uh, of Atlantis or SG One? Oh, I don't remember. Last episode of of, of SG One was at half. Yes, you know, but I think, um, I have a suspicion based on my emotional recognition recollection of of Atlantis because it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, that some of these early episodes are going to get a lot of like you. They're, they're I'm going to have to process them. Mm. Because, you know, I mean, I don't remember them as knocking it out of the park, but I don't remember them as being bad either. So I'm going to have to process this. Yeah. And, and so this is where my, my five and a half comes well, in. Well, and, and, and you, as you are, I suspect that your opinions of SG-1 episodes are a bit more solid than your opinions of Atlantis episodes by virtue of how many times you've watched SG-1 episodes. That's true. And... It's okay to examine something and to come up with what you might think is a bit of a, a, of an opinion of it that doesn't seem to line up with your earlier opinions. But we're doing it in a very specific way, right? We are going episode by episode, talking about the story, talking about the characters, talking talk about the show, talking about it in depth. We're, we're, being, we're being critics. That's different than popping in the DVDs and just watching them. Yeah. And so, therefore, you might get different joy or less joy or more joy out of these shows than you would have in a different context just and, by virtue of that alone. as a general rule, I have found watching these episodes in this context yeah. 
has brought me more joy yeah. than watching them just for, for lack of a better term, the entertainment value. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, what does uh, the Twitters have to say? The Twitters have these to say. We've got Kevin. Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. He says, hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. Insert high five here. He totally did it. Okay. All right. Fine. Hang on. There. Okay. We inserted a high five there. All right. There you go, Kevin. I'm, I predict I'm going to watch the right episode because I accidentally started next week's and then realized I was watching the wrong one when I saw Redacted. But I'll predict your score on Facebook because I'm about, because I'm about to watch it now. This was uh, 14 hours ago that you read. <laughs> so thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Now, I assume that's. The only thing on Facebook, That's the only on thing. Twitter. But um, I did. I I have another notification here, Zach. It's our Twitter anniversary. Yes, celebrate with a special tweet created just for you. Let me click that. Let me see what happens here. We joined four years ago today. Wow. Yes. Share the big day with others in your Twitter community. Nah, I'm not gonna do that. Oh come on, you got to do that. <laughs> do no, I no, have no, to? You- I mean, uh, celebrate we're, with a we're tweet. online. You gotta celebrate Fine. with a tweet. Here it comes. Do you remember when you joined Twitter? I do. Hashtag my Twitter anniversary with a number four. Uh, here, let me let me put a couple returns in here and just put a barfy emoji on here. I just, <laughs> barf. There's that sick face. Barf. Done. Okay, now you know that it's really me. <laughs> there you go. The tweet has been sent. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for the Facebooks? Yes. Let's we'll start with Jen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. Jen starts with a disclaimer. Long time SG-1 fan who is watching SGA for the first time mm. and will be watching along with the podcast. Yeah, all right. All right. So yeah. you get to experience this kind of like Brett does. Yes, that's right. Okay. My second adventure into Stargate Atlantis. The first time wasn't too bad, but I still need some more warming up to the characters and the set. Mm -hmm. Atlantis still looks a bit too spacey for my taste, Mm -hmm. and I kind of miss the military setting. I also need to warm up to our new cast. A very intelligent person once told me, I don't like this person yet, so I have to get to know them better. So far, I really like Shepard, Beckett, and Weir. Still not loving Rodney and indifferent towards Taylor. Yeah. Fingers crossed she won't be established as a sexy alien like they tried with Freya know, Anise in I season know. four of SG-1, or a female Teal'c. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good So, yeah. Jen, uh, Taylor will be a different type of character. Good. Good. Okay. But, what about our episode of the week? Hide and Seek feels like a rather shallow episode with the sole purpose of establishing characters, dynamics, and set. Yes, this is true. The story did not succeed to capture my attention Mm. enough, and I ended up feeling kind of bored throughout. I don't know if I'm being particularly harsh, but I'd rate Hide and Seek a meh-ish three out of seven chevrons. That's fair. That's That's fair. fair. Yeah. Zach might watch this with more nostalgia and knowledge of what will happen in the future, and therefore... Might enjoy the playful nature of this episode. Five out of seven for Zach. Very close. Since Brent and I are both watching SGA for the first time, it's even more difficult than usual to guess his rating. Yeah. He could swing in both directions. Either he's had a <laughs> lousy um, a mood as I had and will be harsh with a three or four chevrons, or he enjoyed it thoroughly with a five or 
six chevrons. See, that's too loosey goosey, though. I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna claim victory for that. Jen doesn't uh, get no, victory. No, for no, that no. One. We're not finished. Oh, she's zeroing in. Wild guess will be <gasps> okay. Six. For You're Brent. kidding me! Oh my god! <laughs> nice. Uh, she continues. Turns out I don't like SGA yet. Uh, I have yet to. I have to get to know it a bit better. Yep. Fair. Um, I, I, I would say this, Jen. That uh, that is very fair. Um, yeah. I remember when I watched this for the first time back in two thousand four. I mean, it was a new series of Stargate, and so I was excited about it. Yeah. But I was also kind of sitting back and say, okay, you got to convince me. Right. I'm not just going to give you my squeals and my ease <laughs> and, and my, oh, I love this so much. You got to earn it, baby. You got to earn You got to earn the squeals. <laughs> oh, I mean, this, this is still a family-friendly podcast, right? Try it. <laughs> Although that phrase probably just no. Anyway, carry on. You know, it was perfectly fine until, until you I said something. Did something. <laughs> Sean is next. Hi, Sean. <laughs> Extra Chevron for getting rid of dead plants. Yes. They heard you, Brent. Yes, they sure did. <laughs> oh, there's the familiar sound of a transporter sound from SG One Two. Yay! Our Rodney saved the day. Woo! Not an overly exciting episode, but probably a crucial one for character development. So I'll give it a 5 out of 7. Uh-huh. You can tell Rodney has matured somewhat since his debut in SG-1. <laughs> Boo. Well phrased. We could say de- debut. Debut. No, I like debut. Boo. Debut. 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 Uh, Sean predicts a 5 from Brent. Yeah, that was close. And a five and a half from Zach. Hey, they got you hey, right on the money. you got me right. Woohoo! Uh, next, we have Eric. Hi, Eric. Eric says, greetings, gents. Nope, this isn't my first missive, but I'm also not frequent enough to be recognized yet. You know, Eric, I do recognize your name, which is why I said this isn't his first time. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I do appreciate that. Yes, you, you are a uh, not a... Yeah, you got to find a way to phrase name, this. for lack of a better term. No, you see, yeah. he's selective. Sele- Ooh. Yes. That's, that, that's way better than what that's I That's right. And I apologize, he's Eric. Selective. I'm not meaning anything by that. <laughs> anyway, Eric continues. Yes. I'm with Jen on this one. Uh-huh. Obviously a budget-saving bottle show after the expensive yes, pilot to show right. off the mm-hmm. new sets and introduce us to Atlantis and our new cast. Mm-hmm. But just meh. I always watch it during a rewatch, but usually have it on as background noise. Mm. Middle of the road, three and a half for me. Okay. I'll say the same for Zach, a three and a half. Mm. And Brent was terribly let down after The Rising and can only muster a three. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm much more generous, apparently. Uh, Eric continues, super glad to have you fellas back on the air. Yeah. Missed you big time during your hiatus. Can't wait for Redacted. Ah, Redacted. Next is Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. In July 2004, Rowan was 25 years old and Uh living in rural Vermont with friends from university. They had just recently begun writing fanfic. Uh What? (laughs) I can't do a This Week in History segment? (laughs) Yes, yes, you can. Uh, Let me continue here. 
McKay is attempting heterosexual banter with Dr. Beckett, but Beckett refuses to dignify it with comment. Perhaps he senses, as I do, that Rodney's actual, actually hot for doctor, and that's why he's really volunteering for experimental gene therapy. <laughs> I mean, who could resist that accent? Get used to it, kids. A lot of my Atlantis summaries will probably be like this. <laughs> Which is why we're bringing up the fanfic. <laughs> it turns out McKay has found a nifty device that makes him invincible. It's all fun and games and trying to kill Rodney until he tries to remove it. Oops! Nothing can get to him, including food and drink. And worst of all, none of his co-workers are taking his imminent demise from manly hunger seriously. (laughs) Meanwhile, the crew are working on setting up the base and figuring out where everything goes, including their new roommates, the Athosians. Taylor will be joining Major Shepard's exploration team. Let's call them SGA. Wait. We can have two female characters in the main cast? (laughs) The biggest hurdle with the Athosians is a complete lack of common cultural reference points. But even out here in the Pegasus galaxy, kids play hide-and-seek and and get into trouble. Yes. Very true. Kids be kids. Jinto goes missing, and weird stuff is happening all over the city. It seems Jinto released an energy-eating shadow creature that was trapped by the ancients thousands of years ago. Man, they've really got to stop waking up ravenous beings that have been dormant for generations. Yeah, yeah. You'd think, yeah. Good thing Taylor is smart. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. She figures out they can lure the shadow to the gate room with a big, powerful snack and flush it out the Stargate. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) it doesn't want to go, and now it's draining the base. If only someone had a personal shield device to protect them (laughs) while they give it a little push through the wormhole. This episode is okay. It's mainly about getting to know our new characters and their dynamics. Let's say four from each... For each from Brent and Zach. Yep, nope. This episode has an IMDb rating of 7.4, which is a 3.5 chevrons, Mm -hmm. putting it in the bottom half of Stargate episodes overall. Yeah, yep. Makes sense. All right. Now we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Who, after his starting to watch the wrong episode, has returned with the correct episode. Good. Okay. All right. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. Hi. Don't worry. I did watch the right episode. Oh, good. I think. Did I? Well, if you watched Hide and Seek, then the answer is yes. You did! You did. Okay, anyway. This week, we have kids playing games, causing trouble, and touching things they shouldn't be touching. Jinto is practically the new Daniel, touching things he shouldn't that causes the episode to happen. Yeah, that's true. By the way, Brent, what did you think of the new title sequence? Just curious. This isn't a... Just curious. I liked it. He liked it. Yep. It Kevin, he liked it. Mikey so, likes it. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're not Mikey. But I like Life Serial. Oh. <laughs> Kevin continues. <laughs> that was a non sequitur. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Getting back to our grammar. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> this isn't a great episode, so I took a few notes to keep myself... Uh, shoot, I lost where I was. Let me try again. Um, blah, blah, blah. You can cut this out. Okay. Uh, this isn't a great episode, 
So I took a few notes to keep myself busy. Mm -hmm. I'll edit them down a bit so I don't have a bunch. One, an ATA gene? Okay. Mm -hmm. That must be what O'Neill had to operate the chair in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. yep. Number two, if you were going to leave your house for 10,000 years, wouldn't you at least get rid of the plants first? Then again, they were underwater, so maybe they didn't have anywhere to put them. <laughs> Where am I going to put it? I don't know. Number yeah, three. After some of the SG-1 episodes, I've wanted to put Rodney over a railing. I've wanted to push Rodney over a railing, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is the second time we've had one team member performing a harmful action against another. Although, I wish there had been the scene of Shepard shooting him. <laughs> Budget. I want to see how that conversation went. In the leg. <laughs> Number four. I really, really hope Rodney is able to get to his pants in some way, or else those clothes aren't going to stay clean for very long. You know what? I immediately recognized the problem of having lunch, but I did not immediately recognize the problem of uh, bathrooms. Uh, number five. Wait, they have popcorn? Where did they get popcorn from the Pegasus Galaxy? Uh, not just popcorn, but two very large bowls of popcorn. Did the Atlantis expedition bring a microwave and then <laughs> hook it up to a reactor? <laughs> Seriously, a microwave? I don't think it's Jiffy Pop because it looks pretty evenly cooked. <laughs> Who the heck brings a microwave to another galaxy? <laughs> you could use the coconut butter or uh, coconut oil method yep. you know, in a heavy pot. Number six. It's like the Jiffy Pop method. But, you know. Oh, the communication system goes all throughout the city? Well, that's convenient. Yes. Good thing no one else in the entire city is talking at the time. Seriously, how does that thing work? From the command room. Sure. It's, that's how you command. Number seven. The return of Taylor's magic lighter. Yes. Yep. Yes, from like over the bed. Yep. <laughs> Number eight. I remember my first time in a darkness energy cloud. You always remember your first time. <laughs> Good thing it's all lit on the inside. Absolutely. Anyway, this episode is a bit boring. Maybe we'll have luck with the next SGA episode. I predict a four from Zach because why not? And a four from Brent because this is his second SGA episode and he doesn't know any better. <laughs> See you both next week on the SG-1 side. Bye. Bye, Kevin. And finally, we have uh, on Facebook, so we have Tim. Hi, Tim. Tim says, I like this one a fair bit, and it starts to show McKay as both the jerk and genuinely decent person that we get to know over the rest of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. I will give it, this one a six. I think I will end up liking it a bit more than Brent and Zach. Brent will give it a five and a half, and Brent, or Zach will give it a five and a half. Hey, got and you. And Brent will give it a five. Oh, come close. Very close. Yes, indeed. Very close. All right. That was good. Now we have some emails. Emails. Do, 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 do. Our emails begin with Lydia Ann. Hi, Lydia Ann. Lydia Ann says, greetings. This week in Atlantis, getting to know the new roommates. You know, the ones you invite to live with you when you accidentally get them evicted from their previous residence? <laughs> oh, and dealing with the flora and fauna abandoned by the previous tenants. Dead plants are way easier to dispose of than the intelligent incorporeal creature trapped for millennia. <laughs> it's true. That's very true. 
All the humor is in the cold open. The rest of the episode is serious and spooky. Uh-huh, yeah. I was delighted by the character interactions. I think it's one of the best parts of the show. The plot is okay. It moves along decently and doesn't need a ton of exposition, which is good because McKay is too busy starving and can't do all the talking. Mm-hmm. Brett gives it a four, and mm. Zach also gives it a four. Like it a little better than that, but that's yeah. very understandable. And finally, we have David. Hi, David. David has not a well-hidden Chevron encoding bias buffer. I mean, he was hidden well enough. It was all the way across the city. Well, no, but see, in this case, you know, normally he writes each letter on a separate line. Oh. And now he has each word on its own line. Yes. So it's not very well hidden. But that's okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, takeaways from this episode. One, there are still a lot of unknowns about Atlantis. The ancients really did just abandon it and left a lot of problems for us. Yeah, true. Number two, Rodney is not a total jerk and is willing to make the sacrifice play. A Hail Mary, if That's you right. will. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, average, still-getting-to-know-everyone episode. Brent four chevrons because he felt like it's not what he wanted in the second SGA episode. I don't know, I liked it. <laughs> and Zach four chevrons as well because he forgot about this episode and will forget about it after recording today. <laughs> Ooh. So uh, those are our predictions. There we go. Very good. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Bear. All right, Brent. Yes. Our next episode. Mm-hmm. I got to pull up my notes. Just so I don't get it wrong. Yeah. Our next episode is an SG-1 episode. Yeah. It is entitled Zero Hour. Zero Hour. And I ask you to explain to me what Zero Hour is all about. Next time on Stargate SG-1. The SG-1 team traveled through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. A world where Zack is sitting across from me, mir- mimicking my thing. <laughs> I only did it for a little bit, and then I stopped. That's awesome. Punk. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. It's a world that seems to be occupied by individuals who enjoy mirth and laughter. The world where... Where my good friend Zach is literally sitting across from me, literally mirroring my. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> mirth and laughter uh, as, as they uh, seem to go through 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 all sorts of different areas of the city. It seems that it's, it, just, it seems to be overly mirthy, mirthy. I don't know, mirthful. Uh, a, a little too humorous. What on earth is happening? It's not on earth. It's somewhere else. It's a strange new world. They. Meet with uh, with uh, with some individuals who then take them to the uh, city leaders. It's a council of individuals, and on this council, there's none other than Ergo, played by the beloved Domlin Deluise. How fantastic! Uh, the, uh, the 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 guy, the 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 come try a guy. Who's what was his name? Um, Harlan. Harlan, the, you know, beloved Harlan. Uh, this is most peculiar. Uh, we have sitting uh, at this table. Um, uh, oh boy, who was the other Star Trek uh, veteran actor who played um, Barkley, Reginald? Um, it was the gamekeeper. Game he keep- played uh, Dwight Schultz. Dwight played, Schultz, yes. The Reginald ga- Barkley, the gamekeeper. 
played by beloved Dwight Schultz is at this conference. What? All of these individuals from all of these strange other worlds are here, but they seem to answer to one. One other large personality who walks into the room with an air of confidence, yet somehow bumbling and buffooning his way to the thing. Played none other than somehow, because this person died, I can't remember when he went. Zero Mostel. It is a proverbial council of comedians. This is by far the most mirthful, enjoyable... Wait a minute, there's a malicious plan afoot, and the team has to discover it, or else the world is lost, because I have to wrap up this thing, and I have no idea where I'm going with this thing, but I wanted to get in a Zero Mostel joke in the, in the show. Join us next time for Stargate SG Zero Hour. So, so what you could have done is something like, um, <laughs> with, with Zero Mostel and this group of comedies, yes. you have... The Zero Hour Comedy Show. There we go. You see, you should do this. No, it's more fun for you. (laughs) (laughs) At least it's more fun for me for you. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1, Zero Hour Comedy Special. All right. Well, I'm going to spoil this for you, Brent. There's no Zero Mustel? Zero Mustel is not in this episode. That's a bummer. Nor is Dom DeLuise, Dwight Schultz, or... um, Harlan. Yeah. Um, so That's a bummer. Brent, normally when we record this stuff, like our phones are connected to our earpieces. Yeah, so you can't hear anything. But uh, we can't hear, but now we, we'll, our things will pick up. But we are recording with sufficiently low volume levels that we could hold our devices kind of well, then I wouldn't hear it. Or you could come over here and we could watch it and record on the one mic. It kind of doesn't matter. I'm probably going to be. What do you want? Because let's you have just, to edit it. Let's just watch it on our own devices. It'll be fine. Okay. I'll figure it out. I am hitting play. Oh, wait. Okay. Yes. Wait, are you ready? Yes. One, two, <laughs> three, go. I'm in position. No, sir. He does not suspect a thing. Mm-hmm. Next time on Stargate SG-1. You are aware of the fact that this is the most secure military facility on the face of the planet. Well, actually, sir, there are still a number of issues to be resolved. In anticipation of a major event, General Jack O'Neill will be tested. It's a plan. Exactly. (laughs) 20 minutes ago, it was a seed. And everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Sir, Colonel Reynolds has dialed in from P2X 887. He's lost contact with SG-1. Planes of Goran are sacred ground to the planes. I am a planesman. Oh my. Oh dear. Well, the good news is it hasn't eaten anybody yet. Electric it's all next time on Stargate SG-1. You dare mock me. Oh, hey, oh, oh! No. Of course I dare mock you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. We're gonna have a. We're gonna have some crazy plant situations. We're gonna have. A, do you think that uh, Ball brought some um, ants? Ball's Possibly. Ants? No. Yeah. Maybe to infest the, the plants. Everything. Anything is possible. Ball's ants for plants. You know. Does he wear pants? You know, I don't know if he actually is wearing pants. He's wearing a large robe. That's yeah, true. We can't see underneath it. No. Maybe he's not. 
hey Zach, you know under our clothes we're all anyway. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm looking forward to watching Zero Hour. All right, well that'll be next time, and we'll be back to our normal setup with uh, Brent in his abode and yes. me in mine. Yes, and we won't be able to give a high five like this. Yes. Ugh, Get the mic and back uh, over here. so you know we'll just. <laughs> Anyway, so if you have any comments or questions, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Go to the Facebook page, the Discords, the website, all that stuff, and pay attention because as we figure out what we're going to do with Patreon and yep. how we do all that stuff, we will let you know as soon as we have things figured out. Yes, that's right. So until next time, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you then. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>